Oh, praise the Lord. <clears throat> praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated this morning. We want to get right into the word of the Lord. And we have our text this morning, just a very familiar passage scripture. There's going to be a lot of different scriptures that we're going to be quoting throughout the text. But Acts chapter 1 verse, or I'm sorry, Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and 29 will be all over the book of Acts this morning. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out of my spirit. How many believe that that passage of scripture is actually being relevant in the day in which we live, that we are in the last days? How many really believe that? Do you really believe it? Do you believe that we're living in that time of that prophetic word? Well, we are. That's where we're living as the church in the 21st century. We're going to be talking about that today. I want to pick up on a few statements I made last week. As you all know, I didn't get finished with my sermon. I told you I'd be picking up. We're going to be doing a little bit of repetition to just set the boundary, and then we're going to go right back into the word of the Lord and see what the Lord of the Lord has for us here today. You know, while it is true when we're talking about the last days that seducers and evil men will wax worse and worse, yet it is equally true that sons and daughters shall prophesy. While many will wax cold, yet young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. And even though there's going to be a great falling away of multitudes of the church and evil will accelerate according to the word of God, yet at the very same time, God promises his spirit to intensify. One of the last day ministries that will begin to uh, arise will include the office of the prophet because you're going to see that the gift of the prophets is going to be coming back. You're going to see prophecy. You're going to see visions. You're going to see dreams. You're going to see spiritual gifts. That is the promise of the prophet Joe. That in the last days, dreams of old men are going to intensify. Young men are going to begin to see visions. And handmaidens and servants are going to prophesy the word of God. Prophets are going to rise up in the land. And we're seeing some of that. And people are trying to discern which prophets are real and which prophets are not. But even though all of these things are going to be coming to pass, the spirit will increase because God has promised that where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. It is also equally true, according to the book of Ephesians, that you and I are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of the redemption. That the Holy Spirit is going to seal us. And the more evil that comes against us, the more bold the Holy Spirit will come within our lives. How many believe that? How many believe the Holy Spirit is truly the paraclete, the one that comes alongside to help you, to embold you, to empower you? It's dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God has promised to the church in the last days. When I get up here and I look over this congregation, you have a solemn promise by God that when this evil begins to accelerate, that the dunamis power of God will begin to intensify in your life. That you will have boldness to stand in the evil day. And when you do all that you know to do, you'll stand and you'll see the grace and the marvelous miracle working God work on your behalf. That is a promise from God to you here today. When the Bible talks about the creation of man, it tells us in the book of Psalms 8 and 5, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and you crowned him with honor. And then you go over into the New Testament in the book of Hebrews and the writer begins to refer back to this Old Testament prophecy, or this Old Testament uh, passage. And this is what he says in Hebrews 
Hebrews 2 verse 6 and 7 about the creation of man. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or who is the son of man that you as God would even visit him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest him with glory and honor. But then he adds something to it. He said, but you did set him over the works of your hand. Here is the writer of Hebrews who is so confused. He said, who are who is man that you as the almighty God would even think about him? That you would even sit around and even look toward him. Why would you do that? But you crowned him with glory. You crowned him with honor. And you set him over the works of your own hands. That's what God has done to mankind. But in the very beginning, man, we see, was crowned with glory. He was crowned with honor. But all of a sudden, we have a problem. We have a dilemma. Our forefather, Adam and Eve, we all know how that they sinned. And when they sinned, the crown of glory was removed off of mankind. And you and I, when we were born, we were born into sin and we were born without that crown of glory and we were sinners. It was the apostle Paul that said in Romans 3 and 23 that we've all sinned and that we've all come short of the what? Glory of God. Not only has sin robbed us of life, but it's robbed us of the glory of God. It has stood in the way to where the glory of God could no longer be in man and upon man and that the glory of God would be distant from human flesh. Mankind found himself void of the glory of God as a result of Adam's sin and his dominion was stripped from him. You know that man was created with dominion. When God looked down, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over every creeping thing that creepeth over the earth. So God created man in his own image. God created male and female, created he them. God created man with dominion and with power. But when Adam sinned, not only did the crown of glory come off, not only did that happen, but he was stripped of his dominion and his power. After Adam sinned, God could not no longer live in that man. So he made the choice to accommodate man's dilemma. He looked and said, we got a problem. I want my glory to be upon that man. I want him to be crowned with honor. I want him to be empowered and have dominion over the earth. But because of sin, it stands in my way. So God in the Old Testament begins to accommodate this dilemma. God began to set up places and structures for his presence to dwell in so that the glory of God could be at least among them. He said, if I can't have it set upon him, if I cannot have it be in him and upon him, then I will just have the presence and the glory of God among him for right now. And that was the plan of God in the Old Testament. So we see in the Old Testament that man encountered the glory of God in temporary settings or in special design places. When Jacob encountered God at Bethel, we see it said in the book of Genesis chapter 26 verse 16 that the Lord, he said, was in this place and I knew it not. Now isn't that sad? Here was a man that was to be crowned with glory, crowned with dominion, crowned with honor, crowned with, with, with all of that empowerment of the Holy Spirit and yet he says the Spirit of the Lord was in the place but I didn't detect it. I didn't even know that he was around. That's some of the saddest words that's ever been spoken. That the presence of the Lord was in this place at Bethel but I knew it not. I didn't have a discernment of it. I didn't know that he was around. That was not God's intent. That was not God's desire. He always wanted to have relationship with man. He always wanted to share his glory with man. He always wanted him to know who God was. And that was one of the most disturbing scriptures it was. But on the flip side, it is also true to know even when we don't detect that he's there, 
even in the darkness, even when you can't even see him, when you don't even know he's around. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He promised us he'd never leave us, nor would he ever forsake us. And when we don't even detect that he's there due to our insensitivity, it does not rob the fact that he's still there. Hallelujah. Oh, give God praise here today. He's with you here this morning, old church. He's with the palace of prayer. It don't matter how dark and gloomy things are getting. It don't matter what the news is saying. It don't matter how it seems evil is prevailing. It is prevailing. It is escalating, just like the Bible said it was. Oh, but lift up your heads. Lift up your eyes. Because even though evil is prevailing, the glory of God is about to come to the church. If you believe that, stand to your feet and give God praise. Come on, give him praise in advance for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. After this Bethel experience, God was not content in just being in these random places because Jacob did not even recognize that he was there. So he instructed Moses to build a tabernacle, which be a temporary dwelling place for the glory of God. God would come, he would inhabit this tabernacle that Moses would build. It would be a visible sign, an open manifestation on display of God's presence and God's glory. God, not only, God wanted men to know that he was with him and among him. That's what God wanted. So it would be... A, uh, this tent would be erected so it would be a place of contact for the people so that they would know where to look, find him, where to look for him. In other words, if God says, if you want to know where I'm at, I'm telling you I'm going to put myself on display. I'm going to have a manifestation of where I'm at. And if you need to find me, if you need to know where I'm at, if you need help, if you need anything at all, come to the tabernacle of tents, uh, the tabernacle of Moses, for there I'm going to inhabit. That's going to be my dwelling place. And it would be in this tabernacle, which was called the Ten of Meetings, that God had set up to where he would let them know whether you, when you get there, you'll know that I'm there because I'm telling you that I'm there. And it was a prophetic word to them. It was designed to be a substitute, standing in the place of man individually and standing in the place of the church corporately. And so this tent was not a permanent structure. It was never meant to be temporary. I mean, it was, it was meant to be temporary for two purposes. It was not to meant to be permanent. First of all, it was to be mobile. It has never been, nor will it ever be, the will of God for the church to stand idle or to be stationary. Can I tell you, the true church of Jesus Christ is to be mobile. It's to be a moving force, constantly shifting and moving and changing and evolving. We are having, having problems where we have church and we know exactly what we to experience because nothing new is ever evolving because we're doing the same old thing that we've always done and we keep getting the same old results. We go through our mechanics. We go through our traditions. We go through our mindsets of how that church should be and all along God said my church should never be an idle church doing the same old things, circling the same old paths, experiencing the same old experiences. God's got some new horizons for this congregation and it's time to understand. It's time to take some new paths and to do some new things and to stand up and do things you've never done before and start moving and start allowing change to come and start allowing the spirit of the living God to transition us and to transform us into that which God is doing. 
The church is to be mobile. It's to be a moving force. The church is to be on the move militarily, spiritually speaking, be in the army of God, conquering and storming the gates of hell. We're not to build a big fort here and hold up and say, hold it. Well, there's an old song and I hated it. It's an old, uh, I don't know, you can call it a hymnal or not a hymnal, but a, a old Southern gospel song, holding the fort. How many remember that? Maybe it was a hymnal. I can't remember. Holding the fort. How the saints are in the house holding for that is so unbiblical we're not here to hold the hold the fort as if the enemy is stronger than we are and allow him to take over the land and we lock ourselves up in the four walls of the church and say oh this is our refuge this is our city of refuge oh this is where we can be saved no 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 the church is to storm the gates of hell and Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against us that we are to be a militant force a mighty force we're not here sitting here defending we're on the offense and we're storming and we're taking this city by storm and it isn't the city that belongs to the devil the city belongs to God and it's time that the church take back what the devil has stolen amen God help me preach here today the church is not to be stuck in one place like it was in the wilderness stuck in the wilderness go study it nor is it to be stuck in one setting or in one period of time being outdated, unrelevant, and rendered ineffective. This is how we've always done it. Oh, I'll get there later. The tabernacle was to be mobile. It was to move, changing constantly, shifting, evolving, transforming. Not only was this tabernacle to be mobile and to move, but it was to be among the people, with the people, but it was also to go before the people. It was to be able to be moved freely and easily. Why is it that we don't move freely and easily in the spirit? Come on now. When God says pack up and move, why don't we pack up and move? When God says put down and put down your stakes for a while, why can't we put down our stakes for a while? Our tent stakes. Come on. When God says enlarge your tent, why can't we enlarge our tent? Why is it that we are always, is that God? Is this God? We've lost our sensitivity to the move of the Holy Spirit. We've lost our sensitivity to the end time glory of God. And it's time that we as a church captivate that which God has promised and be able to be able to apply it to our lives and let us all see the glory of the Lord at the palace of praise. I'm ready to see it. Are you ready to see the glory of God? Give the Lord a yell if you are. Yes, amen. This tabernacle was a picture and an object lesson of how that God wanted his glory to move over to all the earth and not be in just one stationary place. Amen? When God called the people to assemble at the tabernacle, at the tent of meetings at Moses' tabernacle, the Bible says in Exodus 40, verse 34, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled that tabernacle. Oh, oh how I long for the glory of the Lord to fill this tabernacle. And wherever that tabernacle went, the glory of God went with it. Is that, what kind of a symbolism is that? Wherever the church goes, the glory of God is to go with it. And let me turn that around just a little bit. Wherever the glory of God is to go, the church is to go with it. Amen. It's it, the glory of God. You remember how God led the children of Israel, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. They followed it. It wasn't that the cloud followed them. They followed it. It has never been God's design for the glory to rest over certain areas or structure or places, but it's always been God's will and design that the glory would be seen in all of the earth. That we're not just coming in here to try to build a church. We're trying to win a city. 
We're trying to win a county. We're trying to win a nation. We're trying to win a world. And sometimes we think we only have influence over this little bitty pocket area. I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit has placed in my heart that this church is designed to be an end time church that will not only have influence just over Butler County, Wayne County, Stoddard County and Ripley County and Clay County and the different ones that kind of join it. But I'm here to tell you that God's saying you're going to have world renowned no, uh, uh, world renowned testimony that's going to reach around this globe and you're going to make an impact on the world for the glory of God. You say, oh, that's impossible. You, then if you don't believe the impossible, you're in the wrong church. Because I'm here to tell you the impossibilities are about to become possible here at the Palace of Praise very soon. You're going to begin to behold the beauty of the Lord. And you're going to say, what in the world am I seeing? These things are happening. My mind cannot even imagine. I cannot even fathom what's taking place. How in the world is this taking place? Oh, God, somebody ought to be shouting with me here this morning. I preached, preached a little doom and gloom last week to prepare you for this message today, I guess. It's always been God's design and will for the glory to be seen in all the earth. Listen to what Numbers 14 and 21 says. But as I truly live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. As God truly lives, all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That, my friend, is a stationary prophecy that will come to pass regardless of what you do with it or without it. The, all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 40 and 5 says, And the glory of the Lord shall, say shall, shall be what? Revealed in all flesh, say all flesh, shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Woo-hoo! These are prophecies. Hang Woo! Let me just shout it out a little bit. These are prophecies that are hanging over the church. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh is going to see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge, everybody, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He said, as the waters surely cover the sea, people's going to have the knowledge of the glory that covers the earth. That's a prophetic promise. Later, we would see the second reason that God created a structure. We see that God would have Solomon build a more permanent structure, the temple. Why would he do that? Why in the world now? We know it's God's will for it all to always be mobile. Why would he now go to a permanent structure? We also see its dedication. When Solomon, it's called Solomon's temple, when Solomon finished it and they dedicated it, when, they, when he got done praying at the dedication, it says, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And then it says, it was on that day that Israel literally saw the fire, the manifestation of God's glory come down in that place. And it says, and the people fell on their faces on the pavement and they worshiped and they praised the Lord. And the glory was so strong in the temple that the priests could not even minister by reason of the weightiness of the glory of God. That when Solomon got done praying, all of a sudden, the fire, the glory come down, the people seen it, and the weightiness was so heavy, the priest had to back up and say, we can't even minister, we can't preach, we can't teach, we can't offer something, we can't do anything. And all of a sudden, they found themselves prostrate on the floor, all of the people on pavement, magnifying and praising God. 
That's true glory, the Chabad, the glory of God, the weightiness of God. But why did God have Solomon build such a costly, beautiful, extravagant temple? Go study it. Why would God go from a tent to a temple that was inlaid with gold and fine stones and pearls and just beautiful, beautiful, lavish, hundreds of thousands upon thousands of dollars? Why would God do that? This was to show us the beauty of God's holiness and the value of his presence. How can we put a value on the presence of God? Come on now, when you look at the bill, actually it was up into the billions of dollars that this one temple would have cost us today with all of the gold and with all of the costly and with all of the pricing that when you compare, be up in the billions of dollars. And yet, why would God put so much money and make it so extravagant? It was to teach us that there's no amount of value that you can place upon the presence of God. This was to teach us never to take God's presence for granted, nor the value of his glory upon the church. And so often we take God's presence for granted and we treat it second rate. And, and is it the majority? Uh, it isn't the majority of the, children's, uh, of the children of God or the church's priority anymore. As a whole, we don't seek for the presence of God and the glory of God to be upon us like they did in the Old Testament. Everything rates over the assemblings of ourselves together and our Christian devotion is replaced by all of the different kinds of uh, sports and different kinds of events that we go to. We treat the presence of God as a common thing and when we do, it becomes not so common among us anymore. Can I have an amen? We wonder why that we used to feel the glory of God all the time years ago. If we start treating the presence of God for common and treat it, treat it second rate, I want to tell you the glory of God will depart from us just like he departed from Samson and Samson knew it not. God help us. This is why there's no glory in the church anymore. We haphazardly walk in, sit down with no real spiritual zeal, desire, fervent prayer of devotion, no passionate worship. No preparation, no prepared hearts, no hunger, no thirst. We said and we wait for something to fall on us magically out of the sky before we can ever respond or take an initiative to even get involved in the service. And we walk away by saying, ooh, that was a boring service. Well, nothing happened there today. And yet it's almost like what happened at, at Bethel with Jacob. The presence of God was here and we knew it not. How do you know the presence of God is where two or three are gathered in his name? He's in the midst of us. He said he never, I want to tell you why he's here, because I'm here. He told me he'd never leave nor forsake me. So if I'm here, God's here. Can I have an amen? Every day that we come in here, I'm not preaching that it's all about feeling and emotion and all that, but every time that we are to come in here, there ought to be a faith of the faith and assurance of the awareness of the presence of God. And every time that we come here, therefore the glory a lot of times is stayed. The heavens are brass. The rain is withheld. The glory of God is like the temple. It's full of splendor. It's magnificent in its appearance. The glory of God is absolutely beautiful. Can I have an amen? This is why that David had said, listen to what David said. Look at his approach. How many know that when David, David said, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. How many know that Joshua said, for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. There's got to be a determination. There's got to be a desire. There's got to be a hunger. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Come on. What did God, what did God say even about our faith? That faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, but without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of who? Them that what? 
diligently seek after him. Why are they seeking him? Because they believe in him. They believe he's there. If you believe there, you're going to seek after him. And the reason we're not really seeking after him, we don't even have a clue that he's here. We don't believe he's here. If we know that he's here, faith will be put into action and we'll seek him. Can I have an amen? Oh, God, help me right here. One thing have I asked from the Lord, David said, that, I, that shall I seek after, say seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the days of my life, he says, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. This is what David said. David said, one thing have I asked, and I'm gonna seek after it with all my heart, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and that I'm gonna meditate and I'm gonna seek until I find the beauty of the Lord in his temple. I have seen the glory of God visibly two or three times in my ministry in 35 years. Physically, I mean, naturally, I've seen it. Even though it was spiritual, I've seen it with my natural eyes. There's times that God speaks to me through his word. There's times he speaks to my spirit. Only one or two times in 35 years have I ever heard an audible voice. Just boom, just right on my cage. Only once, I think, really, or twice has that happened in my life in 35 years of ministry. But I have seen the glory of the Lord in our home church one time when I was in my teenage years. I seen the glory of the Lord. We had a service. I'll never forget it. Our pastor got to preaching at the end of the preaching. All of a sudden, tongues and interpretation went out. And when it did, the glory of the Lord, the weightiness of God, boom, hit that place. You could have heard a pin drop. You could have heard a mouse run across the carpet. It was so quiet. And all of a sudden, people began to moan and groan and hit the ground and started crying. And I looked around. When I finally come to where I could open my eyes, I looked around and there was a smoke that was in that house, just a thick smoke. And I sat there and I said, it's the glory of God. It's the glory of God. And now I tell you, you talk about how to serve. I can't describe it. I, I can't go. I can tell you about it, but I want to tell you the things that we experienced in that service was unbelievable. I've seen it two or three times at Ninth and Cedar. I've seen it once here. I've seen it a few times in my life in odd places, out, in, out walking in prayer in different times when the glory of the Lord has visited with me. And I'm here to tell you that those things in the last days are not only going to happen, they're going to increase. If evil's going to increase, that's going to increase. Can I have an amen? One word, but we got to, but when it, but it's not going to come unless people are seeking for it, meditating upon it, and desiring it and hungry for it. Are we a hungry church here today? One word that describes the temple was grander. The word means impressiveness. Impressiveness and highest rank, rank of social importance. Let me start over. The word means impressiveness and highest rank or social importance, large or ambitious in scope or scale. Now, do we understand really what the Spirit of the Lord is telling us in these object lessons and symbolics of the Old Testament? Did you pay attention to the definition of that word? God wants us to see the volume, the massiveness, the overwhelming importance and value of the glory of God. He wants us to see the awesomeness of his presence and it's beyond description. You'll never be able to put words to it. He wants us to see the beauty of the Lord and he wants us to be impressed by it to the point 
that we begin to get aggressive. Now, what does this mean? One of the words that is involved in scribing the glory of God in that word grander was the word ambitious. It means to have a strong desire and determination to succeed. Intended to satisfy high aspirations that is difficult to achieve. This really helped me because I'm going to just be open to you of where I've been for some time now. I've shared this with some of my close friends for a long, long time. I have not been happy in anything that I'm doing. It don't matter if I'm at home. It don't matter if I'm preaching. It don't matter if I'm at church. It don't matter if I'm praying. It doesn't matter. I've been miserable. I've been questioning God, what are you doing in my life? What is taking place? One of my friends said, well, give me a description to describe. I said, I feel like I'm a pregnant lady and I'm miserable because I can't bring it to birth. That's how I feel. And I said, but one of the things I want you to understand that it's even deeper than that because I've been to that place many, 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 many times as a pastor. Well, you're birthing things in the spirit realm and I, I know how to come, but, but what concerns me and all those other times in my pastoral times when I would come to that point where we're birthing and we're in spiritual warfare and we're intensifying and I'm praying over the church and I'm trying to birth something in the kingdom, I always felt movement of that promise inside of me. Like the baby was in movement, like a John the Baptist that leaped and, and Elizabeth's womb. And it's like I know that it's there and there's hope. It's about to birth. There's movement. There's sign of it. Right. It's maturing. It's developing. It's coming to pass here soon. And that baby gets to jumping around. I get tickled a little old Ashley over there. We're having another grandchild if you don't know it. And every once in a while, but she'll be sitting there. Boy, he, she's active tonight. And you can look in them little bellies and that little foot and whatever. And, and I said, oh, God, please don't give us another Whitaker. We can't stand two of them. Hey, man, he's a wild man. Moving all the time, and this baby's on the move. But I am, feel like I'm a pre- pregnant pastor. And I'm miserable because I can't birth it. I express it to God. I pray. I fast. I, I'm seeking the Lord with all my heart. And I'm praying over this congregation, praying over my family but I don't feel no movement because there's been many times when I'd go into a prayer time in the past when I'd have this kind of a feeling and I'd get to praying and before I got done praying, the spirit of the Lord began to move on me and I'd feel that baby moving. It was always a sign of promise. It it would create expectation and I'd walk away built up. I'd walk away affirmed. I'd walk away feeling good. Come on. Hey, the baby's healthy. The baby's alive. There's nothing wrong with the baby. But now I pray and pray and pray and I know the promise is there. I've seen it in visions. I've seen it in dreams. I've heard it prophesied over my life. I've heard it prophesied over the church numerous of times. And out of the mouth of everything, everything's got to be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. I've seen hundreds of witnesses about this, what God's placed in my heart. And yet every time I turn around, everything that I feel like God wants to do with the congregation, there is hell fighting and opposing us. And it seems like we get right at the threshold many, many times and we're robbed of it. So I've been praying over it and all of a sudden I feel no movement in the baby. I'm just trying to explain it to you the way I feel. I've been concerned and I've been praying. And so instead, I pray, I still believe. God's presence comes down. He touches me in our prayer time. But when he touches me, I walk away feeling what the spirit feels. And instead of being built 
built up, lifted up, and encouraged, I'm grieved. I don't understand it. I'm saying, God, are you showing me we're about to abort something you have promised? Are we about to lose a baby? Serious stuff, isn't it? It's getting quiet. All of a sudden, the other day, I began to study this sermon, and the Lord began to minister to me in a different way, and he edified me a little bit. He said, I'm getting you so miserable to get you so hungry, you can't help but do what I tell you to do. Some of you wondering why you're so miserable. I'll tell you why you're so miserable. Because you ain't got to the place to where you're hungry enough yet. We ain't, got, we ain't got serious enough yet. I said, why ain't the baby been birthed? He said, you're not serious enough. You're not ready enough yet. He wants us to see the beauty of the Lord and be impressed by it. And, and again, that word ambitious, it means to have a strong desire and a determination to succeed. That's inside of me. There's no one in this building want to succeed more than I do for this church. Intend to satisfy high aspirations. I got high aspirations. Well, sometimes when I share my aspirations with my fellow brothers, they call me crazy. They say, man, you're a fanatic. You know, come on, Kent, you get realistic. You know, your, your, your goals are to be challenging, but they are not be stupid. You believe what you want to believe for your church, and I'll believe what I want to believe for my church. Come on. Y'all can settle if you want to, but your pastor ain't gonna settle for crumbs. I'm not wanting leftovers. I'm not wanting the small portion given me at all. And you can tell by the way I eat, I'm gonna take it all, honey, or I'm not gonna take none of it. Can I have an amen? Don't put me no six ounce sirloin down. Give me a 28 ounce porterhouse. Give me the whole cow. I don't care, God, but I want it all that you got for I don't want just portions. I don't want just small little outpourings. I want the glory of God in the habitation of your presence. I want it all. I want the glory of God. God is saying to us by Old Testament symbolics and object lesson here, let me go slow, that the glory of God is so beautiful, so splendorous, so magnificent that it will, when you experience it, impress you to the point that it will build you up, satisfy you, encourage you, and create in your heart such a desire that you've never had to give you aspiration to achieve and go after the impossible. That's what that means. This is when the glory is going to be revealed on the earth when the church gets touched by the presence and the glory of God to the point that it moves them and challenges them to go out and to tackle the impossible. Have you ever felt like you were a nobody and then get touched by God and then all of a sudden you can quote the scripture, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Come on, somebody. Just one touch of his glory will change your whole perspective and your belief system of what you can and cannot do. Amen? When you're down, everything's impossible. But when you're up, everything's possible to them that believe. Amen? It's when we stand up against overwhelming obstacles and odds and moving the anointing, tear down strongholds, and that we free the captive. 
That's when we're really doing what God wants us to do. After the temple of Solomon, it was destroyed. Then it was Haggai that prophesied of the restoration of the temple. In his prophecy, it revealed that the manifestation of the glory of God would come when the temple was restored, or that's what everybody thought. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7 and 9 says, And I shall shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with the glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former house, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now let me just stop right here. They may have seen that the prophet Haggai totally missed his prophetic call. If Haggai would have prophesied that, when Haggai prophesied that, and when after the temple was built, people was accusing Haggai of being a false prophet because it was, uh, it was obvious that the natural glory and the beauty of the latter house of the restoration temple did not even compare to Solomon's temple. But go back and examine what he said in the scripture. He said, first of all, the desire of all nations shall come to this house. All the desires of all nations did not go to that temple. I will fill the house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. That tabernacle, nowhere does it say that the glory of God filled that tabernacle. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former house. It was definitely not greater than Solomon's temple. But then he says, and then this place will I give peace, saith the Lord. There was never peace there. So what's he talking about? What's Haggai prophesying? The restoration temple was only symbolic of that which was to come, which was the house of lively stones, a spiritual house where the habitation of God would be manifested. What is the spiritual house a lot that's built with lively stones that make up an habitation for God to dwell in now? What is it? Peter teaches it. The whole New Testament teaches it. This, of course, was talking about the church the redeemed out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. It would be upon the church that the glory of God would be seen and manifested in the last days to the whole world, fulfilling the stationary prophecies of Scripture, those Scriptures that were going to happen no matter what. So God was saying this, when I begin to restore the church, the church was birthed at Pentecost. The church has lost its fervor and fire through the ages. But he said, when I begin a restoration program about the true church, know this, that it's gonna be filled with glory and that church is gonna show the glory and fill the whole earth with the glory. It's gonna meet the end time prophetic words. And he said, I'm gonna put my glory in it and it's gonna be in that church during the time of restoration when glory's poured out that I'll give that place peace. Huh? Why in the world ain't y'all jumping and running all over this house? This is talking to us. This is our generation. Everybody says, oh, I wish I could have been that day when Moses was there at that tabernacle and I could see the tent glow and I could see the fire over, the, over it and I could see the cloud over it. I could see the presence of God glow with the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, I wish I could have seen. Others say, oh, I wish I could have been at Solomon's temple and seen the gold and the, all the beautiful stones and the ivory and all oh, the glory of God coming down to where the presence of God was so strong. Men could not even minister by reason. Not me. Don't put me back at Solomon's temple. Don't put me back at 
at Moses' tabernacle. Don't put me back at the Haggai Herod's temple. I'm here to tell you, put me where I'm at today because in the latter house shall be greater than the former house. I'm about to see glory that the earth has never seen. I'm tempted to stop right here and finish next week. That's Miller's shofar sounding. Amen. When Jesus came to the earth, the angels sing a song. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. They sung about his glory. The earth was about to see when Jesus birthed something they had not seen in over 4,000 years, namely the glory of God. Luke 2, 32, it says, and he came as a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. The glory was placed in a clay container. The glory of God was placed in a clay, clay, clay container called the body of Jesus Christ. John 1 and 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God walked among men, slept with man, talked with man, but it was concealed in the body of Jesus Christ. At Canaan, never seen this before really, never paid attention to it. The glory began to break out in supernatural ways to testify who Jesus was. I've seen this story, preached on it many times, but I've not quite seen it the way it is right here and the way that God's revealed it to me. And I'll get into it a little bit later in the sermon. This beginning of the miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and he manifested his glory, it says, and his disciples believed upon him. Never paid attention to that. How many knows this? We're talking about the wedding feast that was happening at Canaan and Galilee. It was the first miracle that Jesus ever done. What did he do? He turned water into wine. When did he do it? We'll talk about that in a minute. It's very significant because God's given me a prophetic word out of that. We'll talk about it when the time's right. But one of the things I want you to know is right now, at this first miracle, it says that Jesus began to manifest, say, begin. Didn't finish it, didn't give it all, but he began to manifest portions of his glory. And when he did, just the portion of him turning water into wine caused his disciples to believe upon him. Salvations begin to happen just at one glimpse of his glory. Just turning one, uh, doing one miracle, turning water into wine, just one miracle, boom, caused people to believe of who he was because that miracle testified of who he was and where he came from. It was Jesus that told Martha when her brother was dead and in a tomb wrapped and closed in John 11 and 40, I have not I said unto you, Martha, if thou wouldest believe that you would see the glory of God? Haven't I told you that if you believe, now let me stop right here. This is your pastor talking to you today. Palace of praise, have I not told you that if you just believe you would see the glory of God? If you just believe with me, we would see the glory of God. Jesus was the glory of God in human form wrapped in human flesh. 
Jesus would go ahead and live on earth for 33 years. He had died on the cross to pay man's sin and obtain the eternal salvation for mankind. And this is where the devil and the demons thought that they had won. They thought, hey, they had silenced the voice of truth and put to sleep the vision and the hope of the prophetic promise. They had killed the prince of glory, the son of God, and they thought they had put a stop to the kingdom of God by putting Jesus to death. They had put out the light of the world. They thought that they had abolished and eradicated God's glory from the earth by killing him. Isn't that what the devil's trying to do right now is eradicate God from the earth? But they forgot the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. You know what he told them before he said, I'm going to depart, but some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in power and great glory. What a promise. Jesus promised Martha in 1140 of John that she should see the glory of God. She witnessed the glory of God when she seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Every miracle, every that he ever, every miracle he ever performed, every healing, every deliverance, every supernatural work, every, everything that, that, that he done was a manifestation of the glory of God. And the demons did not listen very well or put much thought into his prayer to the Father before he went to the way of the cross because they thought they would nullify that prayer from ever happening by killing Christ. If we put him to death, then the prayers won't even matter. But listen to what Jesus prayed before he went to the way of the cross, he prophetically decreed something in the atmosphere. He spoke it out of his own words. He, and then it was imparted as done in the life of his disciples, the apostles, the, the body, the church. Listen to what he says in John 17, 22. And his, he's, he's, he says, and the glory which thou gavest me, Father, I have given to them that they may be one even as you and I are one. Jesus decreed something there we really don't understand the significance of. He said, I'm going by the way of the cross. I'm going to die and the demons think they won. But God, the glory that you gave me, I've already decreed it and gave it over to them as an inheritance. That which I held, they will hold. That which I operated in, they'll operate in. That's which I possess, they will possess. Come on, somebody. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. The very glory that Jesus Christ had with the Father, he wants to share it to the palace of praise. Oh, give him praise. That's all right. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He purchased man's salvation. Now man, again, is crowned with glory and honor. Christ himself has shared his glory with them. He put them over the works of his hands now. Guess what happened? I want you to know we gained back our dominion when Christ rose from the dead. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ. That which Adam lost, we have regained through the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Everything that's been destroyed has now been reconciled and put back together. And now we're being restored sevenfold of what the enemy stowed back then. We're going we're to receive back sevenfold as old Job did. I'm here to tell you the best days are not behind us. Quit fearing. Quit fretting. Quit worrying about what the news says. Quit worrying about CBN and CBS and, and Fox and, and all them other broadcasters. Quit looking to what the internet is saying. I'm here to tell you God said 
is that he's poured out his glory upon the church of Jesus Christ and fret not, I am with you. I gotta hurry. Romans 9, 4, Paul said, we have adoption. We have glory, covenants, and the giving of the law and the promises. Did you hear what he said? Paul said, we not only have kinship through the new birth, we've been adopted in the family of God. We're heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's wonderful. We not only have the covenant, God's promise and covenants with us, we don't only have the promises of God of what he's gonna do with us. We not only have the word and the giving of the law, but we also have his glory. We have his glory. The glory of God is to be in the midst of the church and not just rest upon it. The church is to be the inhabitation of God on earth and then we are to be the visible, tangible place where God's presence is to be manifested to the whole world right here. Through the new birth, we have come to share in the glory. Listen to what Ephesians 1.18 says. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. Did you catch that? The hope of our calling is that we have received an inheritance of the saints of the revelation of the riches of God's glory, that we've inherited the glory of God through our elder brother, Jesus Christ. He's passed it to us. This is why Paul said in Ephesians 3, 21, unto him, Jesus, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen, so be it. It has always been and it will always be God's will to give glory and honor to the church. The glory of God is to be seen, witnessed, experienced, felt, known, and received throughout all ages, even into the world without end, according to the word of God. He even says, so be it. It is done. It is finished. This means that the glory of God will rest upon, set upon, inhabit, dwell, and reside in the church of Jesus Christ throughout the eternal ages. It will never depart. It will never be abolished. It never will be eradicated from the earth. It will be here for all generations. How many know that God's glory will be to all generations? His truth endureth to all generations. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost? This promise is unto you and to your children and your children's children, even to them that are afar off, as many as is out there. That is the same promise that we received on Pentecost is yours. No matter how hard the enemy tries to eradicate God's image and, and God's presence from the earth, it cannot and will not ever happen because the church of Jesus Christ stands in the devil's way. We are the mighty force to, to be reckoned with. We are the soldiers of the cross. We're fighting a good warfare. We're enduring hardness as a good soldier. And though there'll be great fallings away, there'll also be a great harvest that will also come in. And even though evil will increase and evil men will wax worse and worse, yet God's spirit will be poured out upon his church without measure. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 2 and 10, noting God's purpose was this, to bring many sons unto glory. What is God's desire for the church? To bring many sons and daughters unto glory. Paul said it this way in Romans 9, 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, not perfect vessels, but on vessels of mercy, which had afore prepared unto glory. What does that mean? We read those scriptures and don't even pay attention to what they're saying. God has prepared the church to receive the glory of God before the foundation of the earth was ever even formed. That was God's plan. It was Paul that answered the mystery of Haggai's prophecy about the latter house being more greater than the former house and it didn't happen. And everybody's wondering, was Haggai a false prophet? Paul comes and gives the answer to that in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7 through 11. 
Listen to what he says. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not even steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, he said, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed that glory. Look at verse 10. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in the respect by the reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which was done away was glorious, much more than that which remaineth is glorious. Now everybody says, what in the world did he just say? Let me tell you what he just said. Let me just sum it up by saying this. Paul says, if you think that the glory that was upon Moses and upon Solomon's temple and the restoration temple in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant was glorious, that was only designed to be there short term and then fade away, he said, it cannot even compare to the glory of the New Testament revealed by Jesus Christ in his body, the church. According to Peter, we are lively stones building up a spiritual house for the habitation of the glory of God. Paul said that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the restoration temple that the glory of God is to be seen in and upon and through. That which was done upon Moses, as glorious as it was, it cannot even compare to the glory that's going to be seen in the church. That which was done in Solomon cannot even be compared to that which is going to be seen in the church. To that which is promised in the church, as much more said, when you behold the, see even the glory that was upon Moses to the point that people can't even look at it. He said, if you think that's glorious, it cannot even be counted as anything when you compare it to the glory that's to be about to be revealed in the church of Jesus Christ. He said that in the Old Testament was only a prelude to that which was to come. And it was always designed to fade away and to be done away with. But that which come, it remaineth forever. It cannot be abolished. Amen. Nothing's going to eradicate it. Nothing's going to stop it. I want to look at the devil and say, I know what you're up to. And you're laughing like you got honey. He's fixing to come in contact with something he's never dealt with before. Because there's something about to hit planet Earth that's never hit planet Earth before. Can I have an amen? Uh, I hope I can get through with this. Hang with me. Can you hang with me just a few more minutes? We're in the restoration temple time. The apostle Paul said in Romans 8 and 8, though there'll be great warfare, though there'll be great hardship, the evil will wax worse and worse. It'll come against the church. The apostasy shall arise, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils and all that kind of stuff. The apostate church is going to fight against our church. He said, but for I reckon, oh, he said, that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. It can't even compare. Let me close out with this. I'm not going to get done because I was going to be talking about the tabernacle again and and we'll get into it maybe a little later about being a missional church. It's a powerful, powerful word. But I'm just setting you up for something right here, right now. You know what I love to hear? Is that Jesus was at Canaan the Galilee. There he was. And they said, hey, we got a problem. They ran out of wine. He said, what has that got to do with me? The church has run out of joy. Church has run out of wine. We've lost our anointing. We've lost our effectiveness. We've lost our voice. Just under one plague, we've lost 50% of our population of the church attendance in America. The church is wavering. 
Every so many seconds, they're closing churches in America. Every day, pastors are walking away because they said, we can't pastor it no more, it's too stressful, and they're quitting the ministry. Come on. We've lost our wine. Well, what's that got to do with me? And Mary comes along and says, I tell you what, whatever he tells you to do, do it. What do you want us to do? He said, well, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to turn your water pots. Or turn the, I, w- I want you to fill the water pots with water. The wine that had run out, fill that with water. Go to Ephesians chapter five, verse 26. It tells you what the water is. The water is the washing of the word, getting the word and begin to believe my promises. If you'll begin to believe that glory can come back, it can come back. You gotta wash yourself and sanctify yourself and get ready for what I'm about to deposit. It ain't going to just come without no preparation. Get ready. Wash the vessel out with water. The washing of the water of the word. Fill it up with water. Fill your life up with the word of God. The promises of God. Quit listening to all the lies and the seducing tricks of the enemy and the media. Start listening. Who do you believe? NBC, CBS more than God? Fill your barrels with water, the word. And then he turned the water into wine. And when did he do it? At the midnight hour when they had already run all the other wine out. It was in the middle. It was at the end of the wedding feast. Where are we at right now? We're at the end of the dispensation of Christ, the birth of the church, the bride of Christ. The church was birthed at Pentecost. But between Pentecost and now, we've lost something. We've lost a fervency. We gotta have a revisit of the glory of God. God's coming down to the palace of praise and say, hey, start putting the word inside of you. Start quoting the scripture. Start declaring the promises. Start declaring what I have said. Out of your mouth, start speaking the good things. Start speaking the positive things. Start talking about my presence. Start talking about who I am and start talking about what I've done and what I can do and what I will do. Start encouraging one another in the faith, building up most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Then he'll turn the water into wine. Was representative of the Holy Ghost in joy. What's coming at the latter time, at the latter end, not only glory, but peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Then when they tasted the wine, what'd they say? Why in the world did you save the good wine to last? Haggai said it, that what happened on Pentecost was a divine foretaste of what was gonna happen in the latter days, but even in the latter days, that the latter outpouring is gonna be greater than the former outpouring. So what they experienced at Pentecost, not only can you expect to experience that again, but even greater measure. I got a seven minute clip that I wanna show you. And bear with me, I think it's seven minutes. And if you'll hang with me, This was a prophecy that was given over our church and we have failed to remember it. Listen to it. It's amazing what God is doing. Uh, When I stood there this morning, I saw a crack in the foundation of this church 
And the next moment, I just saw God comes and fill it up divinely. And the moment he fills up this crack, another one appears this side, just a crack in the foundation of this church. And then the Lord comes and he, he puts things into the crack. I don't know what it is. And then the crack covers up. And the moment this one covers up, I see another one over here. So the cracks just go all over the foundation of this church. And I thought it was something negative when the Lord said, no, I'm strengthening the foundation of this church for the launch of something greater. And the Lord says that unless I strengthen the foundation of this church, I cannot launch what I plan to launch. The foundation of the church is not this building. It is the people. God is strengthening foundation and many, many cracks will appear, but it's divinely set up as God that sovereignly, without your approval, work on the foundation of this house and cracks that will cross one another and strengthen it. And then the Lord showed me something incredible. <clears throat> he showed me the, the rocket launch, uh, launching pad in Florida where they release rockets that will go to the moon. And the Lord said to me that that launching pad is so different than the landing strip of an ordinary plane. I fly a lot and sometimes you have 10, 15 planes standing in line to take off from one landing strip and they come in and they land. And the Lord said, this is not just a launch of a plane. God says, this, there's a countdown involved in the spiritual realm. And God says, I want to launch rockets of the Holy Spirit that will become world-renowned and known by the world. And I'm about to take back my church. And if I find foundations that is open for change, that will allow me to change their foundations to prepare them for a rocket launch, and the Lord says, I have chosen this place. God says, I'm going to do something extraordinary from this house. And God says, some of you that has been on the platform here this morning, even that blonde-headed woman that sat, sang right in front, the Holy Spirit is going to hit you, ma'am, one day. I don't know what's going to happen, but you are involved in this. But Father, I thank you that you're going to launch something that cannot be articulate, that cannot be described. Um, I felt the anointing so strong on me, and I said, the Lord said, it's about time that you announce what I show you. So I'm telling you that God is going to launch something from this foundation that he will do similar in other places, but there's not going to be many places. Because God says, I'm tired of the church that guard their foundations according to how they want to build it. But the Lord says, I have found a foundation here where the leadership says, do whatever you want to do. Crack us up, crack us up, break us up, break us up. Redo our foundations so that you can do what you want to do and you can launch what you want to launch. So I release this word over this house and I want to say to you, prepare yourself because God says this work of the spirit will happen in the lives of people that belongs to this house. If you tie yourself to this house, you must prepare your life for changes like you cannot believe it. Because you are the foundation. You, you, we together, we are the foundation of this church. 
and this is going to start with amongst the elders it's going to be seen in your finances it's going to be seen in your board meetings and God says I will interrupt your board meetings because God says I have just decided this is my place from now on and I will take full reign and the Lord says I will do a lot of cracks that'll come but it's all good because I'm strengthening you so that the weight of my glory will be secure so that the weight of my glory when I bring it here will secure and the launch will not be a failure says the Lord let's stand on our feet and let's respect that word and give God praise for a word come on the Lord has spoken and the Lord will surely bring it to pass you better praise him because I feel the anointing of God I feel the presence of God come on somebody worship him do not applaud the president applaud the king of king and the Lord of Lords the Lord has spoken and the Lord will surely bring it to pass in Jesus name amen <laughs> if you are filled with the Holy Spirit just go ahead Jesus we love you I'm about to grab the reins of my church from the hands of man. I'm about to take back control over what belongs to me sovereignly. For no man has given his life for my church but me. Therefore, I will take back the reins in several houses in America. For I'm about to usher in my glory. And I will reconstruct and rebuild for this is my time. I am here. I am God. I love you dearly. But I'm reconstructing things for the sake of a glorious invasion of my spirit, says the Lord. Praise God. That is a prophetic promise over this church. And when I got back and revisited it, I tell you, somebody had sent me that, and I thought, you know, I'd even forgot about it, and then it explained to me where I'm at. My foundations are cracking. There's a restoration taking place in my life, and I'm most miserable. And when I got that prophecy, I said, I'm the most happiest man on the face of the earth because during the reconstruction of my life, at the end of it, there's a promise of an invasion of the glory of God. And God is saying that everybody that's going to see the glory will have to tie themselves to this church. Bond with it. Make covenant with it. Sell out to it. Sacrifice for it. Be willing to die for it. 
And then they'll have to prepare themselves and make changes like they have never made in their life before. Because the church is about to change. And we're not going to be a church behind four walls. This place is going to explode. But this church is fixing to explode in the streets of Poplar Bluff and the nation. And we're going to see the harvest come in like we have never seen before. I need you to stand with me, please. 